Okay. He said, for the girls of the room, I'm going to tell you what's going to get you the part. Mm. And so we all kind of leaned in and he said, he looked around and he was like, you need something called fuckability. Oh. You need to walk into the audition and the director needs to think, I want to fuck her. And the producer needs, has to think, I want to fuck her. And the playwright needs to think, I want to fuck her. And the casting director, if he is there, he needs to think, I want to fuck her. And if you don't have that and you don't have all three, four of them thinking that, you're never going to get the part. We are the Get Realisms Podcast. I am Adam Chase Ray. And I am Christine Chin. And surprise, we're both filmmakers. We get into it by sharing secrets, advice, and gossip in filmmaking. We even get our other filmmaking friends to share theirs too. So please, everybody, join us for an, an ode, ode to, to filmmaking. <laughs> in our fourth season of get realisms we dive in deep with our esteemed guests from various film positions for a fireside chat or rather a fire watch chat and discuss their perspectives on what goes down in our industry enjoy welcome everybody to the get realisms podcast today it is just me one of your co-hosts christine chen unfortunately my other co-host adam chase rainey who's the fun one, is not fun anymore because he's sitting in bed on lots of NyQuil. So poor thing, uh, it'll just be me, but we have a special guest. So our special guest, let's introduce yourselves. Hi, Hi. it's nice to see you. Uh, I'm Cynthia Wade. I'm a filmmaker primarily of documentaries, but I also do some fiction and commercial work. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Cynthia. You've probably done a million of these. Uh, I'm particularly excited because I'm always happy to talk with other female filmmakers, especially one. Uh, I actually started in documentary films before I got into narratives. So it's fun to see, uh, talk to somebody who's going, who start, started in documentaries and has had a lot of success in uh, documentary filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'll start with the, the very basics, uh, Cynthia. So how did you get started? When did you start mm. making films? When was the first time you picked up a camera? All that mm. jazz. So I was a theater kid in high school, middle school, high school, college. I was a theater major in college. Okay. And I had this really um, sort of wake up call. I went to my junior year of college. I went to this really esteemed theater program. It was like 30 other students and me really intense, mostly like, you know, critical training and Shakespearean directors and actors came in and we learned fencing. I mean, you name it. It was very like, um, very, yeah, it was very serious and, um, and also amazing. It was an amazing program. It was a fantastic program. However, a B minus C plus actor from sitcoms from Los Angeles, um, flew in. It was this theater, uh, was on the east coast and he sat down and he was like listen i'm gonna i'm gonna cut to the chase and there were you know we were just young students co-ed group okay. he said for the girls of the room i'm gonna tell you what's gonna get you the part mm. and so we all kind of leaned in and he said he looked around and he was like you need something called fuckability oh. you need to walk into the audition and the director needs to think i want to fuck her and the producer needs, has to think, I want to fuck her. And the playwright needs to think, I want to fuck her. And the casting director, if he is there, he needs to think, I want to fuck her. And if you don't have that and you don't have all three, four of them thinking that, 
you're never going to get the part. And I was like, I was 20 years old and I was like, oh my God. Like it was actually earth shattering for me. What's really odd about it is that none of my theater classmates remember this at all. And to me, it was like the seminal moment that actually like my whole universe shifted. And I was like, oh, well, if that's what this, I don't want to do this. If that's what this is, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. So I was doing directing there. um, But uh, but very shortly thereafter, when I went back to college, I picked up a camera. I applied to be uh, applied to be a a scholar, which meant that you could have you, you could figure out something your senior year, your last year of college to do. And I decided to make a documentary. Self-taught, there was no film department, but it was the beginning of the path. And then uh, worked in homeless shelters, believe it or not, for six years full time in my 20s. And in the midst of that, got a fellowship to go to the Stanford documentary program. At that time, it was only it was a program. It was a year in residence. And then Mm -hmm. they kicked you out and you did your thesis and then you came back and got a master's. Um, So I took a year of basically a year leave uh, absence, went out to California, learned it was a technical training school, really became a cinematographer first. Like that's what I was. We were trained in film, then went back to the homeless shelters, had so much debt from Stanford because I that was me. That was on me. Yeah. Um, and it took 11 years to pay back those loans. I worked in homeless shelters for six of them full time. And then on the side, I started shooting for other people, independent projects. Then it became PBS. Then one of the PBS things won a bunch of awards. Then, you know, I started to do any biography. I started to do MTV True Life because um, <laughs> it was back in the day. History Channel, um, you know, biography, all of those things. And then eventually I made a a personal documentary that HBO picked up. And that was my first thing as a director. Um, I made a personal documentary. And then shortly thereafter, I um, sold something to HBO as my own, you know, directing shooting. And then eventually I opened up a boutique uh, company in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I had three people on staff. And so that was interesting to just like, you know, there was no trust fund sustaining this. And that's a dirty secret in this industry, as you know, I think particularly in documentary, but maybe yeah. o- across. But we did it. We were pulling rabbits out of hats. We did that for years and years. And, um, you know, eventually I stopped shooting and I just started directing. And then in about mm, probably 2010, certainly by, you know, between 2010 and 2013, I started directing commercials and it started as real people commercials. Then I joined the DGA. Then I was sort of doing more work for hire. And so in the last year, as an example, I directed three Apple episodes of an Apple series. I um, was able to take a labor of love film that I co-directed with a, with a good friend of mine and sell it to Disney plus a doc, a one-off doc. And then I'm just finishing now the trailer drops tomorrow morning, a four part series on Netflix, which I directed show run. I was show ran and I was an executive producer. So it's been a really long trajectory. It's not an easy one. If you don't know anybody and you don't come from, you know, family money, which I was just like, you know, I was just a scrappy thing. Yeah. So, you, so originally before. before I do the, want to say this. Sorry, sorry. I did want to say this. There's something about working in nonprofit and, and working in those homeless shelters that is very akin to documentary filmmaking. Ooh. Because if you work in a homeless shelter, which I did for six years, I did two in the Bronx, one in East New York, Brooklyn. I mean, it was like, it was, you know, I, it was all around different locations in, in New York City. 
you're given a very small budget or a no budget and you have to create magic from nothing. You have to create something from nothing. And that I was so scrappy. Like I figured out all kinds of ways to get things for the kids there, the families there, how we would get tickets to things, how we would take trips, how we would like, you know, it was, I wrote grants, but that kind of scrappy, like I'm going to pull a rabbit out of nowhere, out of a hat and something, you know, I'm going to create something meaningful out of nothing. Those skills were a hundred percent translatable to documentary film and still are. Yeah. 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 Um, well, to uh, filmmaking in general, I feel like, <laughs> especially if you're a woman. Um, so when the actor, it was an actor or actress that came and spoke. Oh, actor. Okay. Oh, actor. Yes. When the actor came and shattered all your dreams at that mm-hmm. at that point, prior to that, you were on the track of becoming a theater actress. Is that what the. Yeah, maybe director. Um, okay. I was acting and I, I was at the time, I mean, I, you know, there were some strong things about me as an actor. I think I was probably a stronger director. Um, but yeah, probably until that moment, I thought, well, maybe I'll move to New York and I'll start to go to auditions to like play. Yeah. He actually saved me years of heartache, even though it was pretty brutal to hear in the moment. Like he like I was able to pivot when I was 20 before I even got out of college. And then that way, that was a gift. It's just like, it was just, it was just, I don't know. It was that era where you had no agency as a young, certainly as a young woman and you had no, you could, there was nothing, there was no, there was nothing. There was no me too. There was nothing. So it was like, if dude said it, dude was right. And if dude said to you, you're not fuckable, then you weren't. And anyway, who wants to be? So it's just like, yeah, it was just, it just was the era. And I would argue to some extent still is because I think, you know, there are gestures that have been made, but there's still vast inequality, as you know. I agree. Yeah, I, I say that a lot that, you know, it's not all bad in terms of there are, there is change being made, but this change is slow and it's up and down. Sometimes you'll see, and it's a fa- it's, sadly, a lot of changes is uh started because of a fad of some sort oh it's cool to recycle now you see lots of change lots of change and people get bored and then plateaus right uh me too there was a big you know movement and now i think people are gone distracted with other things life so well a lot of it is gesture right i in terms of like tangible change yes you know we could talk about that but a lot of it is just gesture it's like bumper sticker gesture which i guess is a first step but yeah there's a, there's, yeah. there's a lot of work to be done still. When you, do you remember what camera you picked up the first time you picked up a camera? I was curious. Yeah, it was a video. I mean, it was video. Was it a tape. mini DV? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was yes, my, my first camera was mm-hmm. mini DV as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. what do you remember? Uh, what was the software that you, was a final draft? By, uh, sorry, final cut? No, it was anything? Media 100. It oh my predated. god! It predated. <laughs> it predated. What is media one hundred? It was. It was the challenge. You know what it was? It was like the BlackBerry to Apple. Oh. Um, it was like the BlackBerry to Apple. The way you know, it was like Avid came out, and Media One Hundred came out. Media One Hundred was cheaper. Yeah. Um, and I, it, but it was enormously expensive. I mean, at the time, av- right. an Avid software was a hundred thousand dollars. And yeah. uh, Media 100 sort of get up was like $40,000. Like it wasn't like it is today at all. Yeah. So there was an enormous barrier. So Media 100 was the, was my thing, was my jam until, you know, yeah. Until it became obsolete. 
<laughs> until yeah, until it became obsolete, and I guess until it was like Final Cut. But yeah, yeah. So I came in when Final Cut was what it was. Okay. So um, much like you, it was a oh never never knew anything about films. Picked up a camera, and, and it happened to be a documentary film class. Um, but mine wasn't because I had any aspirations to be in the film industry at this point. It was because it was a requirement to do a art credit for undergrad. And so where 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 was it? Yeah. Where was this documentary class? Uh so mine was at Rice University in Texas. Texas. Wow. Yeah. So they didn't even have I think they had a really tiny cinema um like major there, but I didn't know. I just did a, a blanket visual arts basically. Yeah. Um because I knew that I was always interested in visual arts. And so yeah, but it was like that. Picked up a camera and uh I think what I liked about what I I realized something was there because I was spend so much time in the editing room. I was fascinated with editing. I don't mm -hmm. know about you, but I just feel like I everything that I credit to my career has been because I have the ability to do post. I, mm -hmm. I I'm good at editing and I love editing. Mm -hmm. Um how about you? So I'm the opposite. Oh, okay. Which is interesting. I would call myself a hunter gatherer. Which okay. uh, what I love more than anything, and it's why I love documentary film in particular, is you're dispatching me into promise, mm -hmm. but nothing has actually been realized. And it's chaos. It's yes. just chaos of life, whatever it is. And often in documentary, you might be walking into a situation where there are a lot of ethical landmines where you're navigating um, getting access to stories mm -hmm. or gaining trust with folks who are in some of the most challenged moments of their lives. Um, certainly I've, you know, lived with people as they were dying and made films, um, you know, or people that where they've gotten life altering news um, or have are like going through a life altering event. Yeah. Um, and that navigating that type rope and thinking about it, like how do I corral these disparate chaotic pieces into a story into a narrative how do i interpret this into footage that can be crafted into something um how do i sustain how do i keep the access how do we gain trust and you know it, it has to be somewhat of a collaboration there needs to be some partial ownership with the people that you're working with because they need to believe in it too yeah um and then the chaos of you know not always not always but often, at least in documentary, by the time you get to editing, there's at least some budget. When you're shooting, you're like rolling zero. out a single bag on yeah, a couch, zero. right? Or whatever. And sometimes something's happening and the window's closing so quickly, you can't fundraise. You just have to pick up a camera and go. Just do it. Yep. And, yeah. And it's that chaos that I really love to um, help corral and navigate. I think, honestly, my sister is a New York Times bestselling author. She yeah. does it with, and she's done both fiction and nonfiction. She does it with words. I think I do it with pictures, but we both, we grew up in a somewhat chaotic, very messy, both physically and emotionally household. Ah. Uh, and I think it was, I think it's been a survival skill to figure out how to organize the chaos in a way that like I can make sense of it and therefore the world can make sense of it. So mm -hmm. I am very, very happy and very comfortable being out there as the hunter gatherer, just in terms of like getting 
footage and trying to figure out how do you know with a small budget or limited shoot days how do you maximize those shoot days um i in the edit process particularly between having nothing to a first bad rough cut or maybe even a second bad rough cut yeah i it is like torture for me it is <laughs> torture to sit in a room is torture and i loathe and hate um and i'm not that person so i have to trust and you know work with really good editors yeah once we get to fine cut i'm actually i actually shine i'm really good at it because i was a trained musician so then mm -hmm. working with composers and sound mixes and stuff but oh my god you want to torture me put me in a room with a lot of footage and tell me i have to come up with a rough cut oh no <laughs> i'm the opposite i think because to me editing is like writing um i've learned how to be a better writer because I see what I shot and then I make sense. Like it was also making sense of it, but uh, just it, it's almost like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm writing. And, and uh, I think I, I've seen it more with narrative. Um, I've never really officially done a, a screenwriting training course of any sort. So, and I'm such a tactile person that be mm -hmm. able to see what I wrote translated visually and then going into the edit room and seeing whether it works is kind of like an experiment. So, mm -hmm. so I'm like, ah, should have written this better, you know, don't need this giant monologue because that didn't work, you know, type thing. And that's and that's how it's improved my um my writing and everything. And I think that's why I like and there is also a sense of control uh when I'm in the edit room. So that's interesting. Uh what you were describing skill-wise, I'm like, hey, Cynthia, if you if you need a backup plan, you should be an AD. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. 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 Well, the thing is, you're I know that you are you have really strong AD skills because you really think about maximizing shoot days and planning and time of day and light and like, how can I squeeze the most out of it? And if I'm going to yeah. stick to a 12 hour day, like all of those things like you shoot feature films in really remarkably, relatively short amounts of time. And it's because you're really, really good at the planning of it. And I think that people starting out or emerging in film think that somehow it's like the auteur that like walks, you know, like, right. you know, you're going to be inspired and we'll just see what happens or, um, but so much of it is planning and so much of it is discipline. I think a yes. lot of creativity is discipline. Yes, I agree. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think, I, I, I don't know if it's a societal, just a romanticized view of what creating means mm -hmm. and it is affected future creatives because they think that if i'm supposed to be creative the only way to do it is i'm sitting by myself and i'm like off in my head and, and there is that process of course but i do agree i think without execution which is all about discipline yes. you're not going to be able to have a final product whatsoever and yeah. so, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think art is about discipline. It's about being able to sacrifice other things for your art in terms of like, hey, I'm going to sit here and practice over and over and over again. I've done this thing again. Let's let's do it again and getting better at something. Um, I often when I'm when I'm aiding, I, I meet a lot of PAs that this is there for a lot. Most of them, especially here in L.A., 
everybody seems to have a I'm a this, but I'm actually this, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So <laughs> I so the couple things. One is um, I want to touch on when people say to you, well, you just got lucky because mm. that's a pet peeve of mine. That's a real pet peeve. So let's put that aside for a second. Yes. But the other thing is. Um, on my sets, on my commercial sets, on my doc sets, PAs have to take at least one PA class on Zoom um, with my producer and my AP, sometimes more than one. Um, I don't care if you are a director or a screenwriter. In this room, on this set, you are a PA. Yes. The same way that like, sometimes I need to be quiet. And you know, like, if I'm in a situation where I'm working with execs, I don't need to... like. My job is to support, your job is to support the whole, right? And what I always tell the PAs is you have to go, you have to almost be like a lifeguard. You have, first of all, you need to know your place. You need to know that you have um, two ears and one mouth. So you need to be listening at least twice as much as you're talking, maybe a lot more, right? Um, it's not about you expressing that you're really a director, but you only happen to be here because that's not what it is. If you commit to it, commit to it, whatever, whatever that job is, commit to it. Um, and read the room and be almost like a lifeguard where what you're thinking all the time, you're scanning the room, you're scanning for, you're anticipating what needs may be and you're, in, and you're sort of anticipating what might happen next. But you need to be asking yourself, what does the scene need? And I'm not talking about the scene we're filming. I'm talking about like, you know. In this moment. The, the, there's sweat that's pouring off the DP because it's right. 90 degrees and really humid. And we're in South Miami in July. Right. And um, you've got a backpack full of water because you want to be on the ready for the DP. But the sound person actually prefers seltzer. But you also have seltzer. Like it's all of those small things to help the, you know, help the whole, the whole production happen. Yeah. And as a director, that's true for me as well. Like um, it's what the scene needs. It's yes. what the scene needs. Yeah. It's anticipating so, needs. Yeah, yeah. It's anticipating all the needs. Um, the lucky part, um, I'm, I just find, I, I don't know if you find this too. Well, we can say a couple things as female directors. It's a well-known fact that anytime we sort of land anything on D on IMDb, it's either bros in the armchairs or bots will immediately score. Oh. If they see a female name, they'll immediately score a film one star without having seen it. And you've had this experience because yeah. you've had one star before it was even released. It wasn't. Before yeah, it was that's even, why I knew. I was like, there's no way because I literally have not released this film anywhere. How is it possible that I have one star right now? Like yeah. Nobody's seen yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So that's a thing that's sort of, I don't know, whatever the hell that is. That's a thing. Um, but the other thing is just like the, just the armchair it's so easy from the outside to to be to, to to critique in a way where you don't even know what it's like from the inside. And from the inside, you're taking lots of risks, right? You're taking a lot of risks and you're putting yourself out there. You're putting the inside of yourself out there out, for the world yeah. to see. And the world is mostly in their pajamas mm -hmm. on a laptop being Perceiving. snarky, but they don't actually they couldn't actually do what you do. Right. So that's irritating. And the luck is such a way of undermining the preparation. Like you, you know, you down to the down to the millisecond, you figure out your, you know, everything. You write the script, you, right. you visualize it, you all of it, like the production design, the location scouting, all of it. Like you figure out how to maximize those 12 hours each day of your shoots. Mm -hmm. That's not luck. <laughs>
Sorry, but that's not luck. That is enormous preparation. And again, the discipline. Yeah. 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 And I, and I, and people forget about that. Um, They just, I think it's easy just to see the final product and that's it. They don't realize. And I, and the, when you bring a non-film person to a film set, that's when people get mind blown. They're, they're they're like, I had no idea. Like even like a simple commercial that I might do in somebody's home where it's real people. Yeah. They're shot. And even if I'm like, listen, we're going to have NNN, we, you know, yep. there's video village and then we're bringing in G and E and we're yeah. lighting something or, and maybe it's even just pretty simple and low budget. Sure. Their mind is blown. blown. Yeah. They're always blown. Always. Yeah. I don't think I've had a single non-film person come and be like, this is how I expected. No, it's always yeah. like, oh my God, how yeah. many people are coming into this house? How many people, yeah. how many, yeah. Why are there this many trucks and stuff like that? Like it's, yeah. it, it's, they're mind blown. And uh, I, yeah. And and I often tell people who are trying to get into it, like we are glorified movers. We move equipment from totally. one side to the other totally. side, from one side to the other side. It's not glamorous whatsoever. Yet- it's funny that you say that because when I was a cinematographer, yeah. I would often say to people, I feel like I like a I'm I work for a moving company. Yeah. Like all <laughs> things and move it all day. Like that's what it is, is you just feel like you're part of a moving company. It's funny that you said that because I would that's often how I would describe it. Like, and yeah. you're, you know, you're broken. Like, you know, you have a lot of physical ailments o- over the course of years, your shoulder, your neck, your back, just because it's like physically so grueling. Yeah. And you don't realize it until you I had, did a stupid thing. And, you know, one time uh, I, I try to stay in shape and I lifted too much and then like threw out my back and I had to cancel a whole like a few shoots because you Mm -hmm. physically can't do Mm -hmm. the job that's how physically physically grueling it is and then Mm -hmm. um everybody who's come off of their first day on set second day are always like hey i feel like i just got hit by train it's true yeah because you you are constantly in movement Uh, um i'm shooting a side passion project documentary wise and uh my producer she's doing she's more she's dabbing she's jumping dipping her toe into filmmaking she's not a filmmaker whatsoever she's somebody who's been interested in storytelling um made her fortune through uh tech and everything Mm -hmm. and uh she's just i go and shoot and i we're we're shooting it's five hours and she's like i'm tired and i'm like (laughs) no we're just like, starting, Marsha. Yeah, it's like that's like a third of a day, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, we're we're just starting. She's, what yeah. do you mean you're tired? Yeah. She's like, no, I just I really can't go. I'm like, oh great. Yeah. And so I'm I've having to come to terms of like, okay, well we're gonna move at a pace because she's my financier and everything too. So I'm mm. like, move at at your pace, but it's like the slowest pace I've ever felt because it's just, she's they're just non-film people are not used uh-huh. to that that kind of um ruling work pace and uh comment she's always like you 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 are standing the whole day i'm like yeah 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 <laughs> yeah my stamp my watch my stand hours i mean yeah. it will be it could be 20 hours on yeah. those shoot days like it's i'm like i better get to some sleep because it starts tomorrow at 4 a.m i mean yeah there are a couple of things i think that people don't understand one is is that you're you're creating even with doc work, it's all around the light, right? Yes. It's all around the light. So you want to get up in at dark yep. and you want to make sure that your crew is fed and you want to be there to capture that beautiful early morning light. 
And then you may move indoors in the middle of the day. That's what I tell students when I teach, right? Because it's that ugly flat overhead light where there's this harsh yes. shadows. And then you're going to move back outside. And of course, in the summertime, those are very long days. In the wintertime, yes. it's a different kind of challenge because you have to figure out, like, are you lighting night? You know, are you lighting yes. nighttime, but making it look like it's day and, you right. know, filling windows with HMIs or whatever. So it looks like daylight coming through the windows. Like it's pretty complicated and the light changes very rapidly. Um, and so building, building your shoot days around light, I don't think that people quite understand that when they start in film. Um, yeah. There was something yeah. else that I was going to say, touch, touching on what you were saying in terms of um, just shoot days and um, sort of the stamina of it. Oh, one thing I do want to say is I do think that there is a difference and it's good to know who you are. It's a little bit like living in LA. Are you a mountain person or a beach person, right? Like mm. people are like, do you live on the West side near the beach or do you live like on the East side in the mountains, right? Like I'm, despite the fact that tomorrow a trailer is coming out for my Mer People series for Netflix. Um, and then I've spent the last year plus filming mermaids. Um, I'm, I'm really a land person. I'm really a, a mountain person. I think in that, still in that way, there are production people and there are post people. Yes. The production people are the hunt, hunter gatherers where they there's, and there's a Maslow hierarchy of needs. So you may not pee for, you know, six hours, right? Like you, yeah. you know, you're supposed to take a break every five hours, maybe, you know, but you like, in terms of having to pee, in terms of carrying really heavy things, in terms of knowing exactly what's going to be for lunch and when, and you can call, you know, and people know now, um, you know, if you're on a union shoot, like you can be like, we're going to, we're going to call some grace so we can shoot for another 15 minutes or, you know, yep. 30 minutes. And then we'll, we'll have lunch, but then there's penalties. Like there's a whole thing with unions, but you are, you're in it where you're staying at a holiday inn. you're away from your family. You're dealing with COVID exposure on the planes yeah. and in the field, you're doing all those COVID tests. You're not getting a lot of sleep. You're eating crappy food because you happen to be in Indiana somewhere. And <laughs> You know, like a salad consists of ice, bad iceberg lettuce, like and whatever, a right? A ton of uh, salad dressing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas production, uh, so that's production people. And you, it's a little bit like you're in a war, like, which I like. It's like mm -hmm. you're part of an army and, you know, but post there is, it's a different sensibility. Um, they tend to be more introverted, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't mm -hmm. know. I'm not scientific, but like being like you said, like being in the room with the footage and really figuring out how to, you know, construct the story and breathe the story to light and experiment and all of those things. And really, like you get these incredibly deep, connected relationships with the people on your screen, which is weird because they don't know who you are. at yes. all, Right. So you're sort of a lurker, but yes. you might be in there for six months, eight months, a year more just working on this thing. But you do know. And sometimes I will say. I love post people, but sometimes I'm like, dudes, you have no idea what it's like for the production. Like my heart's always with the production because they'll say, you know, they'll talk about, it is really hard, but dude, you can stop and pee anytime you want. And you literally can <laughs> stop and have lunch anytime you want. And you get to sleep in your own bed. Yeah. So you're winning, you're winning. So there really is a difference. I feel like the way they're mountain and beach, I feel yeah. like there's really difference between production and post in terms of the temperament. And if you're starting out in film, I think it's really good to figure out what temp temperament, what do you best fit in terms of those, um, you know, those broad categories. Personalities. Well, that I think that's, that's definitely why when you're in production, you'll 
I can pretty much you can look at something, somebody and stereotypically be like, oh, that person's probably art or that person's G and E or that's mm -hmm. like if they were to stand right next to each other without doing anything, you could pinpoint because you will you do have a personality for each of the different departments and and hate to be like, oh, it's all stereotypical. But the thing is, there are just certain personalities that just fit certain departments better than other departments. It's exactly what you're speaking towards in terms of your fit type thing. So, yes. Although yes. I've been on in the last, well, it's been a while, but um, probably there was a two or two year period, three year period. I mean, it will happen again. It's just because the pandemic upended so much where I've been on my own commercial set. This mm -hmm. has happened more than I want to say where I'll be at, and I'll talk to my AD, right? There's a whole hierarchy, as yes. you know, some yep. people know, some people don't. We're like, I'm not necessarily talking directly to G&E, to yep. right, grip and electric. I might talk to my DP directly, my lead DP, or I might yes. talk to my AD, my assistant director, who will then communicate oh, to the crew, yeah, right? So, yep. And it's like, if there's a prop, I'm not picking the prop up. Like, this is, this is important, I think, for people starting out to know, like, right? That's yes. their job. You don't touch it. You communicate. And there's a hierarchy. But I've a hundred thousand percent been on sets several times. My own sets, their call sheets. My name is the director on the call sheet. Right. And I'm like in a different city, whatever we've come in. So some of it is my people. Some of it is source. Yeah. And I will say to the AD, I would actually really love if we can move this in a little bit. You know, like let's angle this a little bit because I'd love for the light to fall this way. And lo and behold, it might be the head grip guy. It might be, it's always a guy. Um, it might be one of the lighting techs. Maybe it's the prop guy. They will say to me, and you are? Ooh. Like, happens more than you think. And I realize the only retort for that really is the person who can fire you. Goodbye. You can leave now. Like, yeah. I will, I, I'm at that point where I feel like I'm going to say that. And I'm always like, director? And at one point, some guy was like, oh, oh, oh. And then he misremembered my name as Christine, actually. Oh. <laughs> and he came up to me and he was like, Christine, I'm so sorry. And I blew it. And I was like, read, read the call sheet. I'm, my name is not Christine. Read the call. Like, yeah. there's no excuse. But the assumption is I probably am not any, like, I'm not important or who the hell am I because I'm female. Yeah. I have both an Academy card and a DGA card because I'm a member of the Academy of the DGA. My husband is six foot two, six foot two <laughs> white guy. When we go to those events, I can't even tell you. I'm like, we, and I'm now every time I'm like, watch this, Matt, watch this, watch this. Let's clock this, watch this. We walk up to the desk and they immediately, their Talk eyes get him. big. Like, but hi, sir. Like, and he yeah. steps aside and I hand my card over because the assumption is he, mm. I must be the plus one. I mm -hmm. must be the plus one. All the time. So that, oh my gosh. That All happens. The and the other thing, and I don't know if you get this, is if people are even paying attention to what you do, they say to me all the time, I wonder if they say this to you, your producer? I'm like, no, director. Like all of the time. I've gotten, are you a casting person? I get makeup all the agent? time. Makeup. Do you really? Makeup? Yeah. Yeah, I get or actress. I'm like, oh, well, thank you. But <laughs> I'm like, do I really look right now? Um, no, I get those uh, a lot. I get um, producer a lot. I get producer a yeah. lot. And I like know a lot of other women who do like directors. And I say no director. And there's always this kind of thing like, well, you think you are like there's always this. I don't know this. I'm like, no, actually, you can look it up. I really am a director. Yeah, there's always this like, mm, that's cute. Yeah. You think you mm -hmm. are type mm -hmm. yeah, mentality. Yeah. 
It's nice yeah. that you're saying I, that to you about yourself. Nice. I yeah. totally have that. Um, one of my uh, producers from earlier projects, uh, also a six foot two male, uh, during festivals, uh, film festivals, any sort of promotional gathering, everybody would immediately ask him. So tell us about like how the story came about, like all the directing questions and stuff like that. He'd just be like, we let it go because we found it funny after a while. And then we would see how much foot and mouth we could get the other person to feel. And, and then they'd be like, actually, and I just start answering to after yeah. after that. But yeah, all the time, all the time. Um, Which is actually critical for as female directors, I think, to make sure that you really are hiring an assistant director and a lead DP that because I find this on commercials, too, is that the video village sometimes, you know, the clients and the yeah. agency, yeah. they will circumvent and try to go to one of my like because they're, they're still want to be in film, but they're in advertising. Right. So they're on the commercial set. So they'll try to go to my DP. Like, it's usually a guy yes. who will go to the BTP because he wants to bro out with my DP who, you know, not always, mm -hmm. but often yes. is a guy. Um, and, you know, the people that, you know, we're very closely knit family. So my DPs and my ADs also know, well, let's bring in Cynthia. Well, let's talk to Cynthia. Well, Cynthia is yes. the director. Like it's, um, I have a question for you. Have you ever considered changing your name to something that is not female identified? Um, I thought about that. Um, you know, what? I thought about it for when I submit to things. So, um, not necessarily, I think in the credits and stuff like that, but like if I'm submitting for a grant or mm. I'm submitting and it's like blind anyway, to even if it's just my initials, you know, CW Chen or something like that, something that's mm. just not obvious. I thought about that for sure, just because mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I often wonder, am I not getting something because, mm -hmm. oh, it's yeah, because you're female mm -hmm. or, or, or whatever. Yeah, I, th mm -hmm. I think about that all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, for sure i i've i haven't done it it'd be interesting um because I, it's a i've heard it happen in most in a lot of industries uh my friend right now in the startup world she's in tech uh she can't seem to get funding for her business idea yep. and yep. uh one of her partners is like look if just say it and i will help you pitch it because he's a male he's like I guarantee you I'll get that funding for you. And so yeah, yeah, and it's pride or whatever. But she's like, no, like I it needs to be like known that a woman can can do that as a woman type thing, you know, so I don't know. I think about it a lot. I'm wondering just w whether just simply hiding my name like as a CW yeah. Chen or something would 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 make it. it have you had that way? Have you done? Have you had to do? Uh, well, I have an AD, a commercial AD. Um, who who calls me suede just as a because i'm c wade because ah. you're like suede suede and part, you know part of me is like it's and and like my film family they might stay cw because my my initials yeah. are cw is so cw so um yeah. yeah um yeah so they'll say that but uh you know there are moments when i'm like i just know male um i actually know a couple of the male um screenwriters where their names are William something, yeah. but they've named, they've renamed themselves Billy because mm. that's younger, right? For them, what they're doing is they just want to appear sort of younger. And so I've thought like this one AD, she's always like, sweet, how are you? I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's just what I should be named on set. 
because it's not as like earnest as, you know, or serious as Cynthia. Right. So I don't know. I think about that sometimes. I think your friend actually, even if she's pitching herself personally, what I think she should do is have a fake male assistant Mm -hmm. on a separate, like whatever her domain is, like make it, you know, right. And all the emails go through him per se or whatever. Yeah. Correct. Regardless of who's answering it. That's what she, I think she should do that. Yeah. That's my free advice to her. PA boot camps is she, uh, they like suede. Since it sounds kind of cool for both male and or female. So yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll just like, yeah, yeah, maybe people will roll their eyes and certainly, yeah, but maybe I'll do it anyway. But you're, it's, it's, and it's, it makes it, then you're, then that becomes a little bit of your uh, yeah. brand, right? Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. No, so, it's, anyway. it's definitely something I'll, um, I have thought about and wrestled with. Um, I mean, like I run uh, a uh, radio walkie talkie rental company and whenever oh, there's, do? yeah, whenever there's an issue <laughs> with, cause I was tired of productions that would think that giving us like toy walkies was the same basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've been on some small indie sets and, and they're like, Oh, we bought these. And like, I'm like, dude, like these don't work. Yeah. Um, And so I started to, walkie talkie business to so I can be like, no, we're coming with these. Yeah. Stop making my life harder than it already is. Um, and when I have to deal with clients, mainly male, who are like questioning things about the rental, I just sick my 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 other partner on them because he's male and they they won't question him whatsoever. Right. You know, if I'm like, hey, there are three, three surveillances missing, I'll get like this whole pushback about all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. When he does it, they're like, okay, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's a clear. So no, I think that's a great idea to, to have a um, gender neutral or just uh, name yeah. that, that yeah. appears. And- but let's talk about the ways in which being a female filmmaker is a superpower. Cause I actually think they're, they're way, because there are moments, not always, but there are mm-hmm. moments that you are so under, um, estimated mm. sometimes it can be stealth sometimes you can like get in you can there get into things and, right and yeah. there's there is a real i think there's also the flip side of it is there's power in it because you are if you're underestimated then you're less of a threat then you can sort of maybe you know work get your in, way into a location in, totally. or yeah exactly yeah, like no, totally. you know, just i use yeah. it when i'm uh in a location where I know that we didn't get permission for, and uh, I pull the whole like, I'm sorry, it's stupid, and I didn't know any better, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. um, card a lot, a lot, mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it also helps if uh, you look like you stood in high school. That helps too. So mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I'm a student. Yeah, that that helps. <laughs> uh, uh, totally. Um, I use it on more on the producing end than anything um it doesn't really help me out as an ad but i i what i do like that i think that female ad's have is uh compassion i think there is a we are just a lot of us are more in tune to our empathy and Mm -hmm. so sometimes too much but i think it's good because uh we tend to treat people like people and so i Mm -hmm. think that's the superpower 
when it comes to female uh, ADs. But for for producing, I've definitely pulled that card quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, because people feel, I guess they just, oh, I don't want to, you know, they, there's a softer spot or like a mm-hmm. protection. I don't know what you call it, but they tend to let things slide a bit more mm-hmm. when it comes to that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. How about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I co-directed a film in Indonesia for five years. We had no... I did it with somebody who um, lived in Indonesia for a long time and was uh, fluent in Bahasa, the local language there. It was a very dangerous film, very, very dangerous film to make. Um, we were um, uncovering this political environmental story of a uh, an, o- an oil drill hit um, an underground pocket of mud, mm. which started exploding um, and has continued to explode. It's been 15 years, at least at this point every moment of every day, massive explosions, like massive, like yellow, beyond Yellowstone explosion. And it swallowed 17 villages under 60 feet of mud, all toxic and displaced 60,000 people. And it was covered up. Nobody knew about it, particularly in the West. Nobody knew about it. And I thought to myself, and it was the kind of thing that it was dangerous. Most of the Indonesian crew that we had went by anonymous in the credits. Yeah. So it was one of these things where it had to be sort of carefully done. And you always have to ask in documentary, like, why am I the right person to tell this story? So you always have to ask why this story? Why now? Why is now the right time to tell it? And why me? And the why me is really important, right? Because not everybody should be telling you shouldn't be walking. And there's a, as we all know, there's like this white colonialist sort of, you know, from Nanook of the North onward, right? of uh, documentary sort of white gaze filmmaking and all of that stuff. Um, the person I partnered with had very much, she lived there and was a journalist there and was fluent and had, you know, spent much of her childhood growing up there. Um, and then we put together a, an international crew, in, including a lot of Indonesian um, folks who then opted for the anonymous credit, nice. except for one. Yeah. Um, but it was a long-term film where we had to fly into different airports with gear yeah. and then meet up. Um, we couldn't all come in and map. And um, we eventually got, I eventually got the um, access to the to the head of this oil, this, this is the richest man in Indonesia, the head of this oil company, sat down for an interview and was on a private tennis court and this whole thing filmed him playing tennis. And um a, I don't think I would have gotten that had I been a man. Mm. Um, I think that there was, you know, I think it absolutely helped that we were female filmmakers. Um, but B, even coming in sometimes because we were coming in with, you know, uh, cameras and sound equipment and stuff in these staggered days at these staggered airports. And then we would meet up. We were definitely much more under the wire because yeah. we were female, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. So, um yeah, definitely. I mean, there there are lots of examples of that, but that was an example where that was a really tough, very dangerous film. We were followed. Um, the last one of the last shoots that we had was when we had this interview with this politician, and I and I hired a private security uh, guy, somebody who worked for the British Armed Forces, who yeah. like now runs a separate company. I raised money for it and had him come. And at one point, he was like, "We need to get in the go, Cynthia, get in the car now, yeah. get in the car now, yeah. get in the car. We're getting in the car now." So it was not, you know, you do that kind of stuff in documentary filmmaking, you sort of pick and choose when you take those risks. But that was actually helpful that I think we were females because we were mm-hmm. very much under like, what, what what would these girls be doing? Yeah, I had a yeah. similar, um, my 
Mine was just out of ignorance. Uh, I was my first documentary that I made that was international was in China, uh, in Lijiang. And we were just, it was just me and another uh, lady, Joe jo Kent. Uh, she is a anchor now for uh, MSNBC. But uh, at that point, we're just two girls from undergrad with a camera walking around. And I think we were filming something. It was just like, we thought it was a school, just a school. There were some kids doing military, like, exercises and think about it we're just filming it and yeah definitely security came about like what are you filming like why are you filming basically like are you guys spies and we're like we don't know anything <laughs> but yeah we were just two two girls and they just let us yeah. go you know yeah. and I, I yeah you're right in that situation if we were not I don't think we mm -hmm. I think we would yeah. at least gotten it escalated a lot more but we're like we just are students and look at us. We don't know even how to use a camera, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, I was going to ask, uh, from when you started to have success, cause obviously you were, uh, you won the Academy award in 2008 for free health. Mm -hmm. Did you see your, your life change significantly or is it still a struggle? I always find this interesting, um, because I, on my, uh, trip in, China. I met another documentary for feature a uh, winner, um, Rocco Bellic, who won for his uh, feature. Uh, what about throat singing? And he's on his way right oh, now. Oh, I know who he is. Yeah, okay, yeah. He's on. He's making his first narrative feature right now, and it feels like the struggle is still the same. And I'm yes. like, it, it's funny because then it's like all so many filmmakers are aspiration is oh get an oscar get an oscar my whole life is going to change and all my yeah. dreams and all my problems are going to go away like could you shine a light on that <laughs> aspect yeah i what i would say is everything changes and nothing changes um it's both um it definitely opened up doors for me um it was helpful. I went back five years later, got nominated again. So it, that was helpful in a way because then it was like, I, it was helpful for me to be like, see, that wasn't a fluke. Right. That was helpful too, because there's always, then there's this discount. Well, that was, you, you got lucky again, that word lucky, right? Mm -hmm. It was just a fluke. So that was helpful. And then just continuing. So in some ways it, I did, it was easier. It has been easier to get some grants. Um, I think that sometimes, um, if people aren't sure if they want to take a risk on you, it's a stamp of approval. Um, yes. But every film is a struggle and every film you start at the bottom and it's literally like hiking the hardest mountain range ever where you finish a film and people are like, oh, you must, well, there's a lot I would love to say about finishing films, but <laughs> you, you're standing there with a backpack and you're like, oh my That's God, there's, 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 there's the next hill. There's the next, not even hill. Like there's the next yes. mountain. Yeah. I have to go do that now. And you are so dirty and so sweaty and so tired and your knees and your feet are killing you and your shoulders hurt because you've been carrying this backpack and you feel like an ox and you've been carrying things for so long and it doesn't matter because you yeah. have to start the next. And, and every one of the films is uniquely challenging, yes. has its own unique challenges and its own unique needs. And um, 
personalities. I mean, the films, in documentary at least, the films tell you what they want to be, but it takes really forever, it feels like forever, to figure out, like, I'm like, what do you want to be? Because it's very hard to tell as you're gathering this material, even right. if you've got a sense. And in the edit, you have to try lots of things. And every first rough cut is just bad. It's just bad. Like, and when I used to teach, um, I used to say to students, congratulations, you're on the path. It's a bad rough cut. That's awesome. That is awesome. You're on the path. So everything is always like awkward, bad. I mean, it's like the worst that part of yourself in middle school, awkward, ugly, duckling, bad. And you just know, okay, I won't always be in middle school. I won't always be in sixth grade with these, you know, braces on feeling, you know, like, so yeah, like tripping over things, but that's yeah. what your rough cuts, like your first, second rough cut. Um, so it's always a struggle and it's always a mountain. But what I have really found is that it's the, and this is going to sound like, like the most ridiculous um, kind of Instagram, you know, whatever, but I would actually <laughs> believe it's true. I've really come to realize for myself, this is true is the journey itself is so like the puzzle pieces of trying to figure out how to, how do you get the funding? How do you get the access? How do you maintain the truth? How do you, you know, you've got 40 shoot days, but you need to make the 70 shoot days, like whatever it is, the puzzle of it is so for me satisfying that the journey is the destination for me. Yes. It really yes. is. I just want to be engaged in that. And I do feel like there's something that I hook into that's like from the, like, this is going to sound so woo, but like from the universe where I feel like I'm a vessel, like it's just coming in and I'm a vessel. And I know writers have this feeling too, where my job is to just put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Even if I don't know where I'm going, that's yes. my job. Right. Because eventually we will again, create something out of nothing. I think the worst part is actually when you've achieved it. I, when you actually, oh my gosh, I would totally agree with you on this. When you're done, yes. there is such, and people say, you know, I, women filmmakers will say, it's like giving birth. I don't think it's like There's giving birth. I, you know what it is? It is a death. Yeah. It's a death. You, it is a death. And people don't understand this because you, your whole reason for being every, like if I leave nothing on the Your table, purpose. like when I finish a film, yeah, I have all the DNA in my body, like everything. It feels like literally, it feels like I've ripped myself open. Some giant hand has come in and taken part of my liver and part of my spleen and maybe squeezed my heart a little bit and ripped some of my lung out, put it out there into the film. Yeah. And then maybe hastily sewed me up. And I am, by the end of a film, I am staggering around like the ghost captain of a ghost ship where I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? Like, and I've been in it, right? And it might've been five, yeah, my Indonesian film took five years. I've had films take much longer or it might be a year and a half, two years, three years, right? So, but at the end, you're walking around empty and and I, I literally feel like I'm missing body parts. Like yeah. I, it's a physical feeling and it is a death. I don't care what anybody says. If you're, if you don't feel that it's a death, I would argue you're, you're not an artist. You didn't put in enough. Because you yeah. didn't put in enough because yes. you should feel so empty. You should feel like there's almost no reason to live. Like yes. almost no, and I'm not, I, that sounds hyperbolic, but it feels that way. Like I agree. You, you, you have left nothing on the table and so people are like, you must be so glad that you're done. Or I saw you at the Oscars. You must have been flying high. I'm like, I feel like I'm shattered. It feels like broken glass inside. No. Yeah. And it takes, and then to take that and figure out how do I actually grow these organs back? How do I stitch myself up? Because that part of me yes. is never coming back. It's out in the film. Yes. And the 
public is going to do what the public's going to do. And the Internet, snarky Internet and the bros and their armchairs who could never do this are going to do whatever they're going to bro do. Right. Whatever. I just know that the thing that has been the most compelling and satisfying and just emotionally engaging for me. And the reason I feel like I am happy to be alive and because I'm here is the, is the process. It is not the destination. And so, yeah, it's a hundred percent a death. There is such, I, there's such a grieving period at the end of a film. It is like the end. It's the end of a relationship. Relationship. It's the end of a marriage. You've been married to that thing. Yes. And that that thing that you've been married to has just died. It hasn't been born. It's died because yeah. it's no longer in you. It's yes. out there. It's out. And the world owns it in a way. And in the world owning it, it actually gets transformed. It actually like it feels like it becomes a different sort of physical yeah, it thing. It takes its own life. Right. It has its own life. And you are empty. You yeah. are empty. And it feels like a death. And yeah. I like I often think I think to myself, is this a film? where they're like literally pop-up tents of grief, like in a place like LA, where when you are empty, when you are like, you stagger in, like you, you're like the ghost in a video game, like a pirate ghost, right? You're like, like, you know, like you see part of your face and there's like, you know, ragged clothing and there's like, you know, you see, yeah, exactly. You're a zombie (laughs) and you see the ribs and stuff. And you like go in to this tent, this grieving tent, with and other people you that sit look there like with you. other people who that look like you and you feel what it feels like. And it's so I find those in between places between the engagement of things. Yeah. And you can't just automatic. And the other thing that I find very hard is when people say, what are you working on next? Oh, I hate I'm that like, all the time. I'm like, I just buried. My, I mean, essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No disrespect to my husband. Like I just buried my spouse. And you're essentially saying, who are you going to date next? Like, are you kidding me? Like, and people don't know. So I, I, this kind of staggering around ghost ship feeling, death feeling is real. And I would argue that if you don't feel this, you're not, you're not putting it all, you, you've left something on the table and, or you're not really an artist. And I think that's probably true for people that paint, the people that write music, the people that write novels, whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever your art form is. Um, I'm so glad yeah. you said this because I felt this after my feature and I was like, what is wrong with me? Like I felt so depressed and sad and like, if people were like, Oh, it's a burnout. You just burned out. You know, you burn. I, it was not just that it was like, I don't know. You're, you're exactly right. Everything's out there. And and then like, while you're coping with the fact that this part of you is out there, you're also kind of looking at from afar as, as people attack that like very vulnerable part about you that's out there that you have no control about that you have to just like pretend is not happening as well. Yes. And and I you know what's interesting is you probably feel this even more because you are it's a lot of your projects, you're a work for, I've never, I haven't been, Oh uh, no, that's not true. I, I have, but um, as much work for hire directing mm-hmm. where you literally have, you're tell, telling me you have a new project that you have zero control now with the outcome of what is it's going to be. Um, it's different when you are the, also the producer and everything. So you mm-hmm. you get to still have a direct impact on future what happens with the film or whatever. But I mean, how it it is amplified being a for hire director. And how do you how have you dealt with it? 
because there are just depends on it really depends like I was for hire I mean there's so little I can say until tomorrow morning and then I can say everything but this more people series certainly the the thing I can say is I did direct it Mm -hmm. it is about real life mermaids and mermen and merfolk um or merms which is a non-binary term for um underwater performers um tomorrow though at 8 a.m pacific there will be a trailer that will be out there and by 9 a.m it'll be worldwide and then that's awesome i can't say much more than that but that has been out there on the internet that i directed that so i can say that much um i mean that was an an amazing experience and um i feel like very much that has my dna i mean it was work for hire but i 100 feel like it was a it is a signature piece for me and it very much reflects my sensibility, both in terms of very intimate documentary storytelling, but also I have a quirky sense of humor and there's really sweet quirkiness that is, um, um, it's, oh, it's, it's very much told from the inside. So there just, it's not like a critical eye from the outside. It's like, it's very much told from the inside. Um, and I, that feels like a signature piece and that's, that's a gift when that can happen. It, It can't always happen, but, but sometimes work for hire can feel like your own DNA. You know, if you have good executives, sometimes it can feel like you're uh, like it's your own body. It's your own body part. Um, I think regardless, though. The grieving, I wish there was a way for us, like I think culturally, we don't want to talk about death. It's often why death is a theme in my documentaries. Sure. Um, uh, and sometimes it's not death of a person. It's a death of a ideology, a relationship, et cetera. But I, I wish that we could talk more about the utter, you feel rudderless, you feel adrift, you have to be, yeah, um, your purpose you feel soulless, gone. your purpose is gone. And it does feel like that thing that I'm talking about, about being connected to the universe, it feels like it, something de-docks, it's yeah. like some, something deconnects and it goes and the, like, and you it's know, it'll come back, it'll go, goes back to the ether, but you are no longer connected as a vessel in the way that you were that gave you purpose. Right. Um, and I remember being in my twenties and listening, and it was really before I was making films full time, but I knew I had it in me and I was working in homeless shelters. Katie Lang has this song, why else uh, hollow soul. And it's why else endure the season of fate must have a reason. Why else endure the season of hollow soul. And it's so beautifully said, because I think those in-between moments of your film, your filmmaking career, it's a season of hollow soul. Yeah. And you just have to kind of live it and breathe it every day. And it's hard. And people are like, you must be getting rest. And you're like, mm, yeah, eh, mm, I'm grieving, but yeah. okay, thanks. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, like falling in love. You can't, you know, you can line up the next project. You have to line up the next project because <laughs> of money, whatever. But, um, but you won't know when the, when it hits you again, when, when that spirit hits you again. And when you fall in love again, because you can't, you can't MacGyver falling in love. You right. know what I mean? And and you are loving your projects. You are yeah. loving them. Yeah. No, I'm really glad that you mentioned that. I, I, I don't, that part I've felt. And I was like, did I push myself to like it? It, it, it is, you feel like, like a ghost of yourself. And yes. I, I agree. It's, I remember it's like doing the, the promos and stuff and just feeling I should be happy. I should be like yes. celebrating and everybody else yeah. around me is celebrating yeah. and stuff. And I'm wearing whatever. I'm finally look like a human being, but I don't feel that. <laughs> That's way. right. Yeah. That's right. And you yeah. know what? That means you've done it right. 
That's yeah. all I can say. And I wish that that could be like, I wish that that could be the mantra and the sort of guiding force for anybody who's creative is that if you feel like crap, and I don't <laughs> think tired. I mean, like if you feel purposeless and adrift and broken and grieving, it's grief. That's all I can say. It's not sadness. It's like grief. It's yeah, different. It's grief. Yeah. It means after the end of your film or, you know, when you're done or whatever you're engaged in means you did it right. Yeah. Means you, yeah. It means you used all the DNA in your body to do whatever, like whatever you could possibly do to breathe this into life and sustain this. And literally coming back to the beginning, creating something out of nothing and breathing something out of nothing into like that itself is a miracle, yeah. but it comes at a cost. I think it comes at an enormous cost to the artist. And we live for those messy. I live at least for those messy middle parts. Yeah. I, I the end sucks. The end sucks. I, I agree. The beginning kind of sucks too. Cause you're like, yeah. oh, God, here we go. Yeah. But the middle as hard as the middle is and the middle can go on for years. Magical. It's, the it's the best. Yeah. It's, it's so messy. For. It's so yeah. messy, but it's the best. Yeah, because you have a relationship with with this thing. Yeah. So as a um, bringing it to a landing, yes. during these ends, because the ends are hard, what do you do or what, what are suge suggestions to people who are in that at that end mm -hmm. for, I guess they call self-care or mm -hmm. or getting yourself back into uh, to that mindset to create again? Mm hmm. Um, well, I think, first of all, you just have to like really recognize that it's grief. Like until you recognize when you finish something and you feel like you've given it all and you're like, what is exactly what you said? Like, what's wrong with me? Yeah, this was a, this was great. I was supposed what's to feel happy. Yeah, I'm supposed I accomplished to feel happy. Something. What's wrong yeah. with me? You know, yeah. like um, recognizing that that's like if if you've used your entire body and soul and psyche and everything to create something and then it disengages, um, you are going to feel not even depleted, but as I said, it's it is going to be this grieving process. But even to know that and to put words into it, you know, put words to it, I think helps awareness. Yeah, awareness. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, lots. I mean, it always is true. Is lots of physical exercise. Physical exercise always helps everything, even if yes. it means taking a walk. And if you still don't feel good after taking a walk, take another walk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like at a certain point, walking is really, I think the best medicine you can work out, you know, you can do intense stuff, intense. I hike and do other things as well. But I, you know, at the very least, I think walking helps. It really yeah. helps. You can, you know, you get into a better place. Um, and then just recognizing, like, I think a lot of time you're like, going out or being with people that's it can be very draining mm -hmm. but you just need time just you know time inside time to think maybe time to read time to listen to a podcast time to listen to lots of music yeah but physical movement and then just time like you know just being recognized that like wow like whatever that force was just went away just disconnected i and i'm alone in this kind of mortal body and i just have to kind of wait it out and then at some other point something will hit yeah. I can start to incubate some stuff, but um, I don't know. Spark I mean, I guess, and the other flip side of it is what a gift, what yeah. a gift to be able to um, give everything you have, everything yeah. you have to something that you love. Yep. A gift and a privilege. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
Thank you so much. Uh, Cynthia, I could go on and on. There's like, I'm like, man, we need to do a whole series. Like, how does it feel like when you're, you know, tr- being a woman and going through? How is it? There's, I yeah. would love to talk more about it. I, I do think that uh, I, I, th- the part that I got the most was the, you talking about the end. Cause I've been yeah. thinking about that a while. Um, why? I don't know why people aren't talking about it more. Or recognizing yeah. it more like it's just and you know and it just like and, and grief is the kind of thing where um you know to a certain extent you have to do it alone and it yeah. and it will and it and it has its own timeline and it yes. has its own waves of things and you know um yeah. yeah so i think we just don't talk about it more because the by that time the rest of the world gets to celebrate and nobody wants to or dead, yeah. or right celebrate or yeah, didn't really nail it exactly okay. yeah so the oh, rest of the world is just there to okay yeah. dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah you thank know you. enjoy your armchair thank you yeah <laughs> but not yeah oh man yes yeah um, so, I don't... um but i do want to say that yeah. um mer people will be out it's four-part series um we shot all over the country very excited um the trailer drops tomorrow morning Yes, and that's all I can that. say. I just want if anybody's on that, like that's all I'm saying because that's on the internet. I've not said anything that hasn't been already announced. Um, so the trailer drops tomorrow, and then it is dropping on the 23rd of May. It's premiering on the 23rd of May. So four parts, all at once. Yeah. All at once. Excellent. Good. Yay. Um, and then uh, my my film that I co-directed with Sharon Lease, The yes, Flag Makers. I wa- we didn't even get to see, to talk about that. I had so many questions about that when we went on about part. Yeah. yeah. So that's on Disney Plus. Yes. Um, uh, and Nat Geo, so The Flag Makers. Um, yes. A look at the, it's a poet. It's a poem, I really. Which it. I think confusing yeah. people because I think, you know, it's a pretty standard title and then it's kind of. No, it takes us a life poetic. And I was like, okay, it is oddly poetic. But yeah. it, it is it's a it's a meditation on the, the so-called American, American dream. dream. Yes. For the immigrants and refugees yes. and Midwestern born and bred um, flag makers at this Milwaukee area of American flag factory, the largest in the country. Um, I loved it. I uh, oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I also went in without any expectations. I had no clue what it was about. And then to to have this different perspective of, wow, what does the meaning of the flag have? And then just all these different immigrants with different backgrounds making the flag. And then you still had a different perspective of somebody who felt like America hasn't been there for them was very, it was, I don't know. It was absolutely fascinating. I was actually in it. One of the questions I had on my list that I clearly didn't ask was like, how did you find that story? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, the short answer is my, um, co-director Sharon Lease was following a sewing program for refugees in Kansas City, where she's mm. based. And one of them got placed at a flag factory. And we were like, this Muslim woman that got, you know, a refugee who then is in the middle of the country in Kansas who goes to a flag factory. And I was like, wait, 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 that's interesting. And that flag factory was like, no way. Yeah. So we went on a nationwide search and ended up getting access to a flag factory in um, Wisconsin. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's on Disney plus. And, um, I did, I've done one, um, fiction film on my own. That's short. Featurette. Oh, okay. 26 minutes. I'll send it to you. In fact, send it to I will me. make it, um, 
anybody who wants to see it, I will I will send you a link because um, I'm trying to decide it's I could put it at one of those. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. And maybe I'll just have it start to stream on Vimeo mm. for free um, once the Mer people thing is out. But it's a um, it's a fiction film that I conceived of and directed um, that's also about loss and about death, but in a very quirky way um, based on a true story. Um, oh yeah, yeah I happy to send it to you. So it's called Sproutland. Yes, please. So there's stuff out there, and then yeah, who knows what's next? Really, yeah. I mean, I you know I know what the short term is. I don't know what the long term is, but yeah. I guess none of us do. I was gonna um, pitch some off offline. I your uh, doc, the flag makers, actually now has sparked something that was. Uh, I told you about the short that was Syrian refugee Yalbi. Yes, I, yes, that one. Um, many. When I made that, a lot of people were pushing me to make it into a feature. And now, like, suddenly I'm like, wait, I have an idea. So uh, I'll pitch that to you after. Yay. Yeah. Good. So, but no, I, it's been, I feel like we, there are more filmmaker to filmmakers should have more conversations because there's to share war stories and mm-hmm. um, just, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it makes us feel like, because you are right in this industry, especially you're a director you feel very alone a lot of times there's like a periods of like i'm with everybody i'm surrounded by everybody all that stuff and then then there's this period when everything's gone the project is dissolved and it's gone and you're grieving when you're when you're alone again yeah yeah that part is that part can be hard very hard (laughs) very hard yeah so yeah, um, I well, do my awesome. little push, push, but yes, that's been a get realisms podcast. So this is, a, yeah, I'll send you one, but this is, uh, I made this because I've had to teach lots of PAs on set about how to do set work for fictional stuff. So it's like, um, like a yep. adult picture book, but if you don't know anything out there, uh, get realisms. I start, we started this channel because, uh, we wanted to hear stories from other filmmakers, talk about the ins and outs of filmmaking that a lot of people don't get to hear about to the hard parts, not the glorious red carpet stuff, but the hard, hard truth. Um, so that anybody out there who does want to make a film can make sure that they actually want to do it <laughs> or they celebrate um, your wins and your uh, losses and everything. So. Oh, can we say one more thing? Yes, that we please. Just, um, can we just go back to those one star bots? Oh on my IMDb? God. Yes. Just one last thing as a final thing is, and I I try to do this as well. Like I just went to see a screening last night that like clearly they had really cobbled together. It was really hard won money that they cobbled together. Um, and it was a unique perspective and there was a female cinematographer and it was very much like, anyway, um, I try to seek those films out and to see them, I always learn something. But um, if you do, if you are moved by a film, it really does make a difference to like, vote yes. on imdb because those bots or dudes or whatever like that it's a real thing like w- you and i both belong to film fatales which is mm-hmm. for female filmmakers and they we've had whole um you know events talking about how do you combat like you release a film you've got a female identifying first name and they'll immediately just start bombing you with one stars it's crazy i mean yes yeah i mean you think about it like wow are you really that threatened like this is a threat so anyway if you do love something um vote on it it. and support on it because at least that helps counteract that yes yeah i'm glad you've mentioned that uh yeah so don't 
always believe the reviews that you see on IMDb and also there are quite a lot of bots out there and we don't know why, but it happens. And so, especially at this, um, at the beginning stages when so many people count on reviews as their end all be all, uh, it is important that we all support each other and try to help counter that for sure. Yeah. Anything. Um, list out you've got uh what are the ones that you're needing uh we have the flag makers and then but like say, no, it, say wasn't about me. it was just just generally all yeah, of generally us. go like, on yeah. go on imdb yeah if, if you find yeah. any it just yes. helps it really it, it does really, really does help. help and it's I just agree. like and it's all of these people who've never made a film who's never oh or washed your film that's the biggest yeah. shocker well that's true that's just your film yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the most annoying part. Most of them have even watched your films. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, really? I remember when I had, I, I saw that. I'm like, we have not released the freaking film yet. How are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, yeah. And it makes a difference because people, the the real, the outside world don't see, they don't understand. They don't know that that's a thing. So yes. Yeah. Um, yes. And watch independent films. 